And welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under. My name is Lauren and I'm your host this week and I'm joined by Alex. How are you going, Alex? I'm good, thanks, Lauren. How are you? I'm good. Um, getting used to isolation life. Um, so last week, Alex, you were joined by Dan and Brad to discuss the form of Hull's defenders this season. Um, this week, we're going to take a look at the headlines surrounding Hull from the past seven days. Um, so our first topic was David Silver's recent interview where he was asked about his toughest opponent. Somewhat surprisingly, he picked a game against Hull City back in 2014. What can you remember about that game? Yeah, it's interesting that he's picked out this game because from memory, it was a pretty close game. Um, the company got sent off after about 10 minutes because he pulled down Jelovic when he was through on goal, which at the time really felt like it gave us a real chance to actually win the game and that was sort of the first season or two where City were really starting to flex their muscle in the Premier League. So um, it was a really interesting game from that perspective but then obviously Silva scored only about five minutes later to sort of give City that upper hand and he was in such good form that day that it was going to be a really tough job to pull a goal back and unfortunately City did get a second goal to win the game 2-0. But I guess I find it interesting that that was you know, of all of his games at club level to pick that one, let alone that game against Hull, because the following season, a game at the Etihad where Myler scored, uh, I think it would have been second half or towards the end of the game, um, where Man City then scored with almost the last kick of the game, or I think it might have actually been the last kick of the game to get an equaliser, um, to me would have struck me as a, a tougher game. But um, I'm wondering, he might have looked at that question and sort of given a given a game where, you know, whilst it was a tough game, they came out on top because obviously he would have played in tougher games where he was, you know, thrashed or uh, didn't play well personally. But he, he played quite well in that game and um, they came out on top in that one, unfortunately. But from memory, it was, it was I think, the week after we'd booked our place in the uh, FA Cup semi-finals. So, and we were sort of mid-table in the Premier League at that point, pretty much safe from relegation. So I can't imagine that we were too bothered at the time by that loss. Okay. Um, so another topic that was covered in the news this week was Alex Neal, um, Preston's North End's manager, calling for clubs like City and Leeds to be banned from the transfer window for putting players on pay cuts or deferrals and other backroom staff on furlough. What are your thoughts on something like this happening? Yeah, look, it's an interesting topic and one where I can't exactly come down on the side of City in it. I I do sort of tend to agree with Neil in saying that at the end of the day, football clubs uh, on the whole, obviously less so in the championship and the lower leagues, but definitely in the Premier League, are very much, uh, you know, highly profitable organisations, particularly in the Premier League. So, Um, I think I saw a stat that Hull were in the top five most profitable clubs over the last five years. And and of course, that comes down a lot to um, our business in the transfer window and and, and the the amount of profit that we've made on a lot of player sales in the last few years. Um, But when you're putting things into perspective and you're looking at the staff that are getting furloughed at the moment and and these organisations asking for government support, 
Um, you know, this, this is a football podcast, not going to get too much broader than that, but there are other large companies as well asking for government support when they don't necessarily need it. It's hard to then, it's hard to then turn around and justify, you know, taking taxpayer money and then also being able to go out and fork out sums of money in the transfer window. And, you know, the cynic in me says, look, that's not a huge issue for Hull because we're probably not going to be spending a whole heap in the transfer window anyway. But you think... Um, the backroom staff, the people in marketing, the people in the ticket office, the people in, in all those sorts of departments who wouldn't be on a very large wage, to be expecting the taxpayer to pay 20% of their wage when for, for the club, it's really not that significant an expense compared to player salaries, um, I think I think is something that really should be considered. Um, I think by now it's probably a bit too late to put any sort of measure like that in because a lot of clubs have already made decisions one way or the other on what they're going to do. So um, you look in the Premier League, I think um, Liverpool had originally put all of their staff on furlough and then kind of reversed that decision because of the backlash. I can't remember if Spurs ended up doing it as well. I think they might have, um, the reversal I mean. Um, So I think a lot of the clubs are sort of coming to that realisation now and I think maybe the case can be made that clubs in the championship aren't as well off and therefore um you know city aside a lot of the clubs are making quite significant losses so in their case you know any sort of saving that they can make they're going to try to do so i think it's maybe a bit more justified but certainly i would say if if clubs have made any sort of significant profit over you know a last year or two period of time um that that there'd have to be some consideration for whether they're actually deserving of that of that government support yeah, um, I can agree that yeah the back the backlash is kind of expected. I mean, you look at what some of these players and this is mainly in Premier League how much they get paid. You, they can't really justify furloughing staff um, when players are getting paid a millions upon millions. Um, but that's just my <laughs> add in there. Um, so, I mean, that whole. Um, transfer window money is a bit of a big issue but another big topic of speculation um, has been loan players and whether they should have to return to their parent club on the 30th of June when the season would have originally ended. Um, Peterborough have, all, have, have however said that Marcus Madison is free to stay with City after the state so he can complete, complete the season with us. Um, do you think this should be more widely adopted? Yeah, it's a topic that we've sort of touched on the last couple of weeks. Um, Mitch and I spoke about in the episode with him two weeks ago and then again with Dan and Brad last week around speculation whether players who are currently on loan with us and are out on loan at other clubs would continue to have their sort of their contract extended with the club that they're at beyond the 30 June deadline that would normally be the end of the season. Um, Because it sort of works both ways where you see... You know, we've got guys like Herbie Kane and Madison and others on loan from clubs where we're sort of relying potentially on those players to, to play a role in keeping us up this season. But then you look at guys like Henriksen and Dicko who are on quite large wages for us who we've loaned out deliberately because we can't afford or we don't want to have to afford to pay their wages and they're out on loan at other clubs. <clears throat> Where we and you know we're sort of still paying a portion of that wage, where we, we would sort of be saying, well, their contract expires on the thirtieth of June. They don't want to stay with us. We don't want them to stay with us. Um, so we shouldn't be forced to continue to pay their wage. So it sort of works both ways. Um, it's going to be a really interesting one. It's interesting that clubs can sort of make the decision themselves. So Peterborough can sort of say, yeah, he's free to stay with you beyond thirty June, um, but. 
whether that then means that we then have any sort of power to say to, for instance, Liverpool, that yes, we want to extend Herbie Kane's loan beyond 30 June and they have any sort of say or don't have any sort of say in whether that happens. It's going to be really interesting. Um, of course, it all sort of comes down to whether the season actually resumes or not and that still seems to be very much up in the air. So I think a lot of clubs and a lot of players are just sort of waiting to see what happens in regards to that to see if they, uh, if they are going to be playing more games at their current club, so at City, for instance, for Madison, or, or whether the season's effectively over. And it seems as if there's been a bit of an indication that Madison's not going to get offered a deal at City, which would suggest that he's going to be free to find a new club in the summer. Um, so it sort of suggests at the same time, yes, it'll be useful to have him as a player for whatever remainder of the season there is, but... It's also a question of whether we actually want him to remain. Um, if we've sort of made the decision now that we're not going to offer him a contract, does that sort of suggest that uh, McGann doesn't see him in his plans even for this season? I know the last few games he played, he, he wasn't necessarily starting games, so um, potentially he's fallen out with the club for one reason or another, whether it's on the field or off the field, and potentially we don't necessarily want to extend that contract. So again, it comes down to, yes, okay, he's, he's technically a Peterborough player who's out of contract in the summer, Peterborough want us to keep paying him, but we might not necessarily want him past that 30 June deadline anyway. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens from a number of fronts. Um, Could get a bit messy with players where clubs might sort of say, well, hang on, if we're not able to go out into the transfer window and bring new players in, then thanks, we'll kind of keep the players that we had for this season. But players who sort of might have been seeing out their contracts just sort of whiling away the time until they could move on to a new club might not necessarily want to stick around um, even if it is just for another month. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Um, I think Madison's an interesting case, and it's interesting that he, he specifically has been um, mentioned as one that, that is able to stay with us and, and no one else at this stage. Yeah, it's um, an interesting time period, um, and I guess no one really knows exactly what's going to happen. So it's very much, as you said, up in the air. So we'll wait and see. Um, now, one of the most reasonable things that clubs, um, the club has done um, is announced that the May membership payments won't be taken by the club. Um, so this seems to make sense given that fans won't be able to attend games even if the season does resume. Um, but another argument could be made that these payments should still be taken um, as support for the club continuing to operate. Uh, how, do you do, how do you view it? Yeah, and I think this is probably a topic that you, you'd have some insight into as well, Lauren, because yeah. obviously we, we're both members of the Sydney Swans and Aussie Rules Football Club here in Australia, and um, they've sort of continued to make the pay, take the payments each month, which uh, there's the perspective that that is sort of helping keep the club afloat at the moment because um, a lot of their income would come from match day revenue, whether that's members going to the games, whether it's people buying a sausage roll and a pie and a beer or whatever at the game. Um, fish and chips chips, yeah so it's it's an interesting one um sort of as we were talking about before with um with the topic of the transfer window and and potential transfer bans obviously clubs in England have a little bit more money coming in than potentially Australian clubs do so there's the argument to be made that that the revenue from these membership schemes aren't actually significant for the clubs over there but um I think the suggestion was when this story broke that City would be taking a pretty hefty hit to their bottom line in doing that and of course, if games resume, it then means that by, um, you know, by halting this payment for a month, is it a deferral? Is it just a cut? Does it mean that when games resume, if they do, the fans are essentially getting free games to attend because they haven't had to make these membership payments? So um, 
It's an interesting one. I think it makes sense. I, I, I'd say at the very least to defer the payments um, to sort of say, look, we'll, until we know more, let's let's pause the payments. Um, and then when the season resumes, sort of come to some sort of uh, calculation or or understanding on how much fans should therefore be paying in that membership scheme to go back to the games. Because, of course, when the games first resume, it may well be behind closed doors anyway. So um, I guess getting your opinion on it from, from a broader perspective, especially with, for instance, with the Swans, um, if, if, if they were to say, you know, we're not going to be able to attend any games this season, would you, would you be okay with the fact that you've essentially paid a membership for an entire year to not actually attend any games? Well, I know personally I'd be okay with it because, you know, I love going to games and I would prefer to know that that's still an opportunity next year. So continue supporting the club regardless. Um, But I'm in that financial situation that I can do that. Um, If I wasn't, and that would be one of the first things I'd cut from regular payments. And I think it, um, I think it really, I think it's good that they've, um, you know, said that membership won't be taken by the club for this month but at the same time it should be optional I mean I get why they're doing it um it is a really good thing but some people out there are probably still in this um situation where they can support and will want to support because they want to see their club continue um I think it'd be really interesting to get the actual facts and figures and see how much revenue um is made essentially through these memberships and whether it does actually impact um and yeah, it might be different in England to what it is here with the AFL, where a lot of the um, revenue is built by us going to games. And so by not having games, they are, they are being impacted. Um, so, yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm happy to do it on my end. I think if we were living in Hull and Hull members, I'd probably continue doing it too. But um, yeah, I think I think it should be an opt-in thing. Like, here's, here's the go. You do what you want to do. Um, however, I do think it's really great that the club have just said, you know what? There's no games, no payment. We'll move on and see what happens um, and take it week by week, which is what everyone's doing. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good point as well about the potential for it to be an opt-in or opt-out sort of feature where for people that do want to continue to support the club and, and do want to have that opportunity, they, they, they can do that without it being sort of, a, I guess, you know, kind of having to go out of your way to give money to the club. They could just say, look, you know, if you're in a financial position where you can't afford to make these membership payments you can freeze your payments, no issues, and you can resume it as soon as we start more broadly charging people once games are back or whatever. But by doing that, then you give people the option that if they do want to support the club and they feel like, you know, people, I guess, have that sort of sense of community with these clubs where you go along to the game every second week and you're supporting the team, that these membership payments in the absence of games, that's sort of your way of supporting the team. And you see the club is reaching out through social media and doing other things where they release videos of the players. So you're still kind of feeling that community with them through that. And you can sort of feel like those membership payments are your contribution to these guys as much as, you know, realistically speaking, you know, the amount of money that you're paying each month isn't, you know, it's a tiny fraction of their wage. So you're not, you're not, that connected but it's it's still that sort of psychological sense of actually still having that connection to the club in in the absence of everything else at the moment so um it's an interesting one and i can definitely see both sides of it um from the financial perspective the good pr and all of that from from freezing the payments so um it's just gonna be really interesting to see what happens as as this situation drags on and um you know 
the longer we don't know what's going on, I guess that's the harder it is. I think once we start to be able to see an end to it or see a timeline where we come out of it the other side, I think things become a bit easier to plan. Um, well, thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode of the Tigers Down Under. Um, this has been your wrap up of all the headlines that you may have missed um, this week. So we'll be back next week to go through City's midfield. Um, so we hope you join us for that. Um, don't forget to give us a like if you're listening on YouTube. Leave a comment, retweet the episode. Um, make sure you're subscribed um, on across all our platforms. So YouTube, SoundCloud, um, there's a Facebook page as well. Um, and yeah, retweet the episode to share with City fans everywhere. Until next time. See you guys. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. There's no turning back, cause you're out.